You're listening to the Cheer Biz Podcast, where we dive into the business of running and owning your gym. Join us as we speak to industry experts, business gurus, and discuss how we can take your passion and turn it into profit. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cheer Biz Podcast. We are back with my favorite guest, one of our most <laughs> listened to guests, actually. Uh, you're only beaten by Jeff Benson, who, who talks about mental blocks. You'll get to meet him in San Diego uh, if you're there. Um, yeah. So I'm here with Matthew Becker. Uh, he is the owner and chief esquire attorney of <laughs> gymlawyers.com, uh, the man to go to for all of your contract needs. And just he's the legal man. Um, He's been on the episode a couple of times. We've talked about private lessons. We've talked about um, waivers. We've talked about uh, birthday parties and contracts related to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has just dropped knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb. And if you're still listening to this podcast and you <laughs> are running a business and you have not reached out to gymlawyers.com yet to at the very least go over all of your contracts and waivers and things like that, then I don't know what you're doing. Like you, you got to do it. It's called a legal checkup. Just like you would go to the doctor. You should have your stuff checked up on yearly. I would say, would, mm-hmm. would you agree? Yep. yep. Cause what people don't realize is, and it's not, we've talked about this on previous episodes, you know, in the police world, case law is made constantly, right? It's yeah. always going on. And most business owners don't even know what case law is, but when there are, when there are legal challenges that go up to courts, those courts make rulings. And sometimes that changes the rules for everyone, mm-hmm. um, which is why you'd need to go to an attorney to have your stuff checked up on. Cause you might have things in your contract that are no longer legally binding. Yep. Well, thank you, Dan, that introduction, man, I just want to like, can we just like stop and, and, and start again? <laughs> and I can just sit here and listen to another introduction. Uh, so you got me cheesing. I'm like blushing over here. <laughs> well, I do what I can. So, um, Matt, we talked a little bit before the episode, but uh, what have you been up to? How are things going uh, for you and how are things going for gym lawyers? Yeah, yeah. Things have been fantastic. Thank you. I uh, had a wonderful summer. Uh, I've been doing a ton of traveling. Um, let's see. We were we were last together in June, right? In, in, in Dallas. Dallas, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I pretty much hit the road and Jim lawyers has been, I have been taking full advantage of its, of its virtual nature. Um, so I've been all over California, Arizona, now I'm in Colorado, next will be Washington. Uh, so yeah, things have been good. And, you know, Jim lawyers continues to be fantastic and we continue to get busier and busier. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really nice to be able to travel around and, and you know, I was in I was in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania for like 10 years um, mm-hmm. and so it's it's been nice to to spend a few months traveling around while still be a, being able to help gym owners and 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 be busy and and have these calls and um, yeah I, I've never had a virtual job before so this it's I'm taking advantage of it and it's been really nice I'm that's awesome it. yes the last time we saw each other was in June in Dallas uh, I think I'm still sore from doing that workout oh. with you <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm thought, just traumatized. I thought we weren't friends anymore. 
I remember I emailed you like right after that, and I was like, "Hey, you want to do another podcast?" And then and then you like ghosted me. Now I I know you were in your camps. I was and, at and camps, yeah. Else, I know. At at the time, I was like, "Man, maybe he doesn't like me anymore." No, no. <laughs> um, I do appreciate you pointing out how um, how just lifting weights uh, does not necessarily get you in the best shape. I was smoked everyone like don't if you're not a crossfitter don't be like yeah I'm gonna go hang with a crossfitter and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go pound for pound I I was humbled very quickly I Um, I was just I was just I was I was grateful to have a workout partner on travel when traveling for once well see for you it's great because you also you look like a super stud like you're like kind of trying I think you were wearing sandals as you were working out uh, yeah just yeah smoking me <laughs> on my, deadlifts and, my travel shoes <laughs> yeah um so kudos to you kudos to you um so getting into the episode what I really wanted to talk about today because this has actually come up it's uh come up with a couple of my clients mm-hmm. um that I've been coaching and uh we've been talking a lot about employees and employee agreements um, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. back and forth on um, what you should include in your employment contracts, employee agreements. And the big kind of elephant in the room is the non-competes. Ooh, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, like, should you have one? And there are some gyms that are like, yes, absolutely. And me, I've always been a, I'm in Oregon. It's not really worth anything um, for the rules and all that. And so... I kind of wanted to talk through some of those things um, and get your advice. So okay. let's start with the with the elephant, the the one that everyone has so much disagreement on: um, non compete agreements. Should okay. you have them, or should you not? And I know what you're going to say. <laughs> let's. I'm going to back up a little bit even further. Okay. Um, and, and he was going to say with- it depends. I'm just telling. Ah. You. <laughs> but it does. Uh, let's start first with with the idea that the the question of do you need an employment contract? Okay, and and the answer there is yes, one hundred percent. If you're going to have employees, you, know, you need something in writing that essentially outlines the expectations between you, the gym owner, and your staff, your employees. Um, and, and at the very least, you know, that's what, that's what the, the name of all this game is, is avoiding being sued for anything and avoiding having all these issues is setting proper expectations up front. Okay. So, all right. So we got that one out of the way. Now from there, uh, there are traditionally three, what we call restrictive covenants that we put into an employment agreement. Okay. Number one is the non-compete. Number two is the non-solicitation, and number three is the protection of proprietary information, confidential information, you know, whatever you want to call it. Okay, uh, so you're right. Elephant in the room, non-compete. Everybody always wants to know. Uh, the basic question is: if I put it in the contract, is it actually enforceable? And then everybody loves to give their opinions that no, they're not enforceable. So why even put them in the contract? Okay. Um, our general position on it is we're not putting them in the contract uh, in an effort to give the gym owner the ability to sue uh, an employee who wants to leave and work for a competitive gym. Uh, We put them in the contract really for two reasons. One, it can cause a chilling effect from the employee who just wants to leave and and jump ship and go work for the gym down the street. Uh, And two, it provides an opportunity for the gym owner and the employee to have a conversation at the time the employee wants to leave. 
okay? Um, because it is a lot easier for an employee just to go, I quit and walk out and go work for the gym down the street and pretend like they never have to have a conversation with the gym owner again, okay? It's a lot harder for the employee to, to do that so willy-nilly when they say, I quit, and the gym owner holds up the contract and says, let's have a conversation about this because you signed a non-compete, right? And then they get to sit down and they get to have a conversation about why the employee is leaving and what they plan on doing and, and what is and isn't appropriate. And, uh, you know, and I, I'll often tell gym owners also that having a non-compete in your contract gives you the ability that if that employee goes and starts working for another gym and starts soliciting other employees, solicits other clients, you know, things we can talk about, um, that now gives the gym owner the ability to call another gym owner and say, just FYI, they have a non-compete that they signed. Uh, they're doing X, Y, and Z. We're not entirely inclined to go out and start trying to enforce this non-compete, but you might want to go have a conversation with your new employee and tell them to back off a little bit. Okay. So generally, you would say it's worth having a non-compete? Generally speaking, yes. I'm going to encourage gym owners to put non-competes in there. Um, again, for the purposes, and, and, and we tell the gym owners this, like I'm not, I'm not putting this in there so you have a right to go sue or you're trying to, to stop anybody from going out and earning a living somewhere else. Uh, we're just putting it in there so that we have a, a conversation starter. Okay. Because um, what, what I've seen a lot is people who do try to enforce it. And mm -hmm. they, I mean, they mm -hmm. send cease and desist letters. Mm -hmm. They, um, you know, they send tort notices. I mean, they, they go pretty far. Um, right. and so you're saying have it in there, but not to really enforce it. it no, don't put it in there with the intent of enforcing it. Um, and, 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 and I guess we should have backed up a little bit too, to just say, this is also dependent on, on which state you're in, because there are states out there that, that basically nullify an entire contract, employment contract. If you put a non-compete in there, like the state just says, we do not, we don't even want to talk about it. We will not honor non-competes at all. Okay. Uh, but let's assuming you're not in one of those states, um, then, you know, did, other people will talk to gym owners and they'll say, well, well, like you say, well, why put it in there if it's not really that, like the, the general consensus is these non-competes are not enforceable. Um, and, and, you know, generally speaking, they're correct. Okay. It's, it's really hard to enforce a non-compete um, because the, the courts don't like employers preventing past employees from going out and earning a living. Okay, so, so the 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 crux of a non-compete is to to demonstrate that in some way, shape, or form, this non-compete is necessary in order to prevent some severe detrimental issues arising with the old employer. Um, yep. And because of that, uh, you know, there's there's typically there's three three sort of prongs to the test or three areas uh, that you have to focus on when you're putting together a non-compete or you're determining its its enforceability. Um, one of those is the time frame that you're providing the restriction. <clears throat> okay, 
Yep. Uh, so the <clears throat> AO is it, is it for six months? Is it for a year? Is it for two years? Is it for five years? Um, the you know again each state's going to have their their individual preferences as to time. Each industry is going to have its preferences as to time. The general consensus is the shorter amount of time, the more likely it is to be enforceable. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's kind of prong number one. Prong number two is the geographical area. Okay, um, I'll, I'll read I'll read samples. Let's say from gym owners that say like you can't work in any other uh, cheer gym or whatever in in any other gym in the United States. And it's like it's, <laughs> ain't gonna happen. Right? That's, Way too broad, way too overly burdensome. Um, once again, kind of like time, the shorter the distance, the more likely it is to be enforced. Um, the third is basically the, the the type of job that you're restricting. Okay, and, and, and this is usually where where we end up losing. Okay, if, if you try to enforce a non-compete, this is where you're gonna end up losing because uh, again, we want to be as specific as possible, but we can't prevent people from earning a living. Mm -hmm. So if you have a, a coach and they've been with you for five years or whatever, and this has been like their primary mode of income, and now you're basically, you're, they're going to leave and you're going to try to prevent them from getting the same kind of coaching job anywhere else, the court's likely going to look at that and say, it's too, it's too restrictive. You're preventing them from earning a living. We're not going to honor this. Um, so again, the more, the narrower you can get, the more specific you can get, the more likely you are to get it enforceable. Um, but that's all going on the, the idea of, are we even going to try to enforce it? Yeah. So one of the things that I have, um, always kind of ascribed to with the, the non-competes is I've, I kind of understood what you were talking about, or I knew, I knew that coming into the the interview, um, mm -hmm. you know, scope, like what you're restricting geographics and duration. Uh, and generally, you know, you gotta be very specific and be able to prove that that is a hardship to you. So that scope has to be fairly limited. Um, so if you say you can't work in any of, you cannot instruct cheerleading, tumbling, anything to do with this in any way, shape or form, you're, it's not going to be enforceable. Right. I've always kind of been told anything more than like 50 miles and you're going to have a really hard time articulating why in this industry you need that much distance. Yep. Um, and I've seen people who've had non-competes that are like anywhere within like an Oregon gym saying <laughs> Oregon, Washington or California, you can't yeah, 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 yeah. work right. there. It's like, right. well, <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I mean, the courts are generally not going to say it's fair to tell an employee, no, you have to move. Like right. if you want to have a job, you got to move if you quit this one. Um, and then duration, I was always told like anything more than a year is probably going to be considered mm -hmm. excessive. Um, mm -hmm. So like three, six months, you might be able to make work. Um, but there's also, and correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe it's just Oregon, it has to be entered into at a specific time. Mm. So if you, right. if you're not, if it's not attached to either the initial hiring or mm -hmm. some sort of a change in position, mm -hmm. then it's generally considered non, 
kind of a null and void situation. Is that accurate everywhere or is that just Oregon? Um, I can't say it's accurate everywhere. I can tell you that there are a good number of states um, that do follow that sort of and what what it's called is it's called consideration um, for the the non compete uh, and. So basically, in these states that sort of have this this requirement that you're talking about, is you basically have to show that the employee is receiving some sort of benefit in exchange for entering into a non-compete. All right. So um, when the when the employee is initially signing the contract and getting the job, they're getting the job as a result of signing this contract that includes the non-compete. If you're giving them a promotion and they essentially need to sign a new contract because now their duties are different, their pay is different, whatever it is, now you can put a non-compete in there because they're receiving a promotion in exchange for signing off these things. Uh, where you can really see these problems come into play is if there's been no change to the employee's status, but a gym owner all of a sudden listens to this and they're like, oh man, I'm going to have all my employees now sign a non-compete. You can't just, I mean, you can, you can, you can go and you can, you can give the employee a non-compete to sign, but if the employee refuses, there's really nothing you can do about it um, mm. because you're, you're not giving them any consideration or any change in their status as consideration for signing a non-compete. Um, right. And you certainly can't threaten to fire them if they don't sign a non-compete. Um, especially in these states where they require some kind of consideration in exchange for a non-compete agreement. Yeah. So, um, I, I think that's a really great point to remind people of. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also always found it hard to say, okay, you're going to go, you're going to go to the courts. Like if you're really going to try and enforce this thing, right? Like I'm totally fine with having a discussion, using it as a discussion piece, um, but like, let's say you want to take it to that nth level. You're going to go to a court and you're going to say, I've been damaged materially by this coach right. leaving and, and them going somewhere else. A lot of gyms are going to struggle to show that. And I, I think the other challenge that you're going to have is, do you enforce it with everyone or are you only mm -hmm. enforcing it with the one that made you mad? <laughs> And right. Courts tend to look right. poorly, correct me if I'm wrong, on selective enforcement of rules. The courts are going to look very poorly on, on discretion um, at any, any, anywhere. Um, if, if you are not, and this goes, you know, I'll, I'll branch out and say this goes for membership contracts, this goes for employment agreements. You know, anytime you have something in writing that you then choose whether or not you're going to enforce it that in, in a way that it looks like it could be based on your preference for a particular individual, uh, then you're going to run into a problem. Um, so yeah, if you're going to have it, it again, if you're going to have it and, and we understand that we're just there for a conversation starter and a little bit of a chilling effect, cool. Let's talk about how we want to put that in there and utilize it. If we're going to put it in there because you really want to be able to slap an employee who, who is going to leave, um, then you really, you got to be prepared to do it for everybody. You're exactly mm -hmm. right. Um, and, and as far as, oh, sorry, go ahead, Dan. No, yeah, no, you're good. Okay. As far as is demonstrating damages, the, the difficulty in, in the gym industry in, in demonstrating damages is for an, for an employer with a non-compete, the easiest way to demonstrate damages is to show that the employee received some sort of super specialized knowledge from that employee 
that that employee can now take elsewhere and somehow, you know, uh, maybe I, maybe you are my employee and I spent $2,000 training you on, on advertising and marketing and you used that training and you all of a sudden built my gym up, you know, and I, I blew up by like 150 or 200 members. And then you leave and you're going to go somewhere else. And I've paid for you to get this super specialized knowledge that you're now going to use at another gym in order to increase their advertising and marketing. And that's, you know, that's a potential really detrimental thing to me. Mm -hmm. um, but it's but what so about specific. being really good at teaching a back handspring? No, it, it, no, because. Uh, what about, winning? I mean, I guess. What if we, what if they win a lot of competitions? They're a good coach and their team wins a lot. So. Now, if they go somewhere else, that team is going to win a lot and my team won't. Right. But can we really point to, you know, something that is, is, is measurable, a measurable metric that you specifically bring to the table? Um, and in this case, can we, can we look at something that you, the specific metric that now you're bringing to the table that demonstrates that you win all the time, that I as the employer provided you? that you only gained because you were under my employee. Um, if that's the case, maybe, maybe there's something there that you could go off of, but, but I don't know how you would ever do. I, I don't know how you as the employee or the employer would ever demonstrate that this person has some sort of measurable quality that they acquired while under their employee that they're now going to take to another gym and the other gym is going to start winning more. Yeah. And I, I asked that question somewhat tongue in cheek. I hope you sure. realize that um, yeah, yeah. because that is, that is where I think this struggle is for, for cheer gym owners with these non-competes, right? Yeah. Um, one, quite honestly, a lot of gym owners don't train their staff super well. Like they train mm. them fine, but not like anything really, really robust where they're paying for extended training. They're doing a lot of like really right. in-depth, high quality training. Um, so to say that this person now has some um, knowledge and ability that you've now given them is a little bit more difficult to articulate. Right. Um, okay. So we've, we've kind of exhausted the non-compete conversation. I think we could go around yeah. and around and around, but you can have them, but if you're expecting it to be enforceable, you're using it for the wrong reasons. You're using it for the wrong reasons. So let's segue. Now, let's segue to things that I think I've been told are a little bit more enforceable um, mm -hmm. and I think actually fit a little bit better in, in some ways and really mm -hmm. answer the concern that most gym owners have, which is, if that coach leaves, then they're going to take everyone with them. And so that's the one it's BS. It doesn't actually happen most of the time. It has happened occasionally, but if you have a non solicitation agreement in place, then you would have legal standing to actually take action. Right. So can we talk about non solicitation agreements? Are they usable? What should be in one and what, constitutes solicitation yeah yeah that was a lot well, let me let me throw back let me throw back you that transition was was seamless dan i had i had this whole plan in my head about how i was going to seamlessly transition this and you did it you just did it for me <laughs> i'm getting better i'm getting better coach i'm learning how to do this stuff 
uh, yeah, so uh, as you said, what is really the issue? When, when a coach leaves, the majority of gym owners are going to complain about one, one, one of two things, maybe both, but one of two things. One, uh, the coach left and they're taking all of my other coaches with them. Or two, the coach left and they're taking all of my clients with them. Okay. And this, do, this does happen. I mean, I know Absolutely. it's rare, but I, I do talk to gym owners. I think it's rare owners. that as many people leave as they're afraid yes. of. Yes, um, that's, that's true. Yes. But it absolutely does happen. And have I seen situations where, or talked to gym owners who are like, yes, this coach left and they're literally calling every athlete that they coached and saying, I'm now mm -hmm. over here, come here. Um, mm -hmm. So that it absolutely does happen. Yeah. Um, and you're right that non-solicitations are generally speaking more enforceable and easier to enforce with one big caveat. And I'll come back to that big caveat in a moment. Um, so who are we trying to, pre to prevent? We would, when we lose an employee, we are trying to prevent that employee from doing one of three things, taking other employees or other coaches, taking our clients, or in some rare instances, taking other like vendors or, or specialty providers. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that might be. You know, if we have uh, some sort of independent contractor that comes in and, and coaches a certain kind of, you know, like a specialty back handspring clinic, okay, and, and, and this employee now leaves and, and they reach out to that, that independent contractor coach who's not otherwise an employee, but just a contractor with the gym and pulls that specialty coach with them, okay? Um, so those are the three things that we're trying to prevent. And so we look, we, we write a non-solicitation agreement um, in an effort to say to the employee, when you leave, you cannot take our coaches, you cannot take our contractors, you cannot take our clients, um, or, or you can't take any actions that would lead, you know, essentially with, for, for these three groups to break their agreement with me, the gym owner, and go to another gym. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we break down a non-solicitation pretty much the same way we break down um, a non-compete. For how long does it last? What is the geographical extent of the restriction, right? And you know who who reasonably can can they uh, can can we prevent them from soliciting? And and the the answer to that third one is really, you know, we can prevent them from soliciting current clients. We can't really prevent them from soliciting previous clients, mm -hmm. okay? Um, because if they're a previous client, they're not a client at your gym anymore. You're not making any money off of them. You can't really tell an employee you can't reach out uh, to that old client. Um, right. Now, there are other ways we can prevent that. We'll get there, Dan. Um, <laughs> but he's looking at my I, face uh, being like, I have a question. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> the big caveat with, not, with non-solicitations is proving that it actually happened. Okay. Um, and this is where gym owners start to get tripped up a little bit because... If you're that's my, if you're my, sorry, say that again. That, that's the hard part, right? Like, how do I right. prove that you were solicited? Because they will just say, I didn't talk to him. And the client will right. just say, I just went over there of my own volition. Um, that's exactly right. And then the other question I was going to ask, sorry to interrupt, was, you know, at what, I, I think the real crux is at what point is it solicitation? Because the coach will always say, well, they reached out to me. Like yep. they reached out to me and I said, yeah, I'm coaching here. And they said, well, give me information. Yep. So I gave them information. I'm not, yes, I'm not reaching out to them. I'm not knocking on their door. 
Right. Um, right. And so where does that line, where is that hard line of you have solicited? Yeah. So generally speaking, the solicitation comes into, uh, and you have to be able to show there's, there's some affirmative action on your part as the ex-employee to pull people away from my gym. Um, and, and you're right. So let's say you're my, you're my coach and you've been with me for X number of years. You coach a lot of the classes. A lot of my members just love you. Uh, and then for whatever reason, you and I have a falling out and you decide to go to another gym. Well, your presence is instantly going to be known. Uh, or I'm sorry, your, your absence. Your absence is going to instantly be known. Uh, so you could just go to the other gym and clients figure out where you went. And they just decide they don't ever they don't want to be a member of my gym anymore because they have no other loyalty to my gym. They had a loyalty to you. And so they're just gonna break my contract and go and join your gym. You didn't do anything. You didn't solicit them. There's no proof that you reached out to them. Um, they just knew that you left and went elsewhere. Um, but what where we can where we start to see some of this come into play is uh, let's say you go to the other gym and you say to the other gym owner, your new gym, right? I think we can pull a whole bunch of people from Matt's gym. Why don't we offer people like a 50% off uh, their first month's membership or something like that? And, you know, we'll target all of them on, on Facebook and, and maybe I'll DM a few of them or maybe I'll just talk to like one of them and let them spread the word around Matt's gym um, that, that if they come over, mm -hmm. they get 50% off. Um, <clears throat> if I, as the gym owner, catch wind of that, now I do have a potential case here um, because while you may not have directly solicited, you went to your new gym owner and that new gym owner was directly soliciting, in which case they were taking an affirmative action to target my clients to pull them away from my gym. And you were complicit in that. And, and now we can start to look at, okay, was that actual solicitation? Yeah we start to lean a little bit more toward the solicitation here. Okay. Um, and what should go into a non-solicitation agreement? Mm -hmm. um, so once again, we have to determine how long the non-solicitation is, is good for. Okay. You can't reach out to my employees or my members for, one year after you're, you, you are no longer an employee with me. Um, shorter time period, more chances it's gonna be enforced. Uh, geographical area, okay? Um, can, we do, can we get away with 10 miles, 25 miles, 50 miles? The further away my clients come from, the further I can expand out my non-solicitation. Okay, so if okay. I have clients that, that I know travel like 25 miles to get to my gym on a regular basis, it's reasonable for me to now say that the non-solicitation goes for 20 for a gym within 25 miles. Okay. Um, and, and then again, who, who are we trying to prevent you from soliciting? It has to be people uh, who I am immediately receiving a benefit from. Um, so we'll often try to expand this a little bit by saying, you know, it, it's anybody else who is in the employee of, of me as the gym owner within the last year prior to your termination or anybody who was a client with the gym within the last year prior to your termination. And we can, we can set this argument to say, well, 
if they if they just been gone for a year we should be having some sort of follow-up with them and if you don't as a gym owner talk to NGGO I almost guarantee you they talk to you about ways to reach out to to ex gym owners and or ex gym mm-hmm. members and try to pull them back um, and and usually you know if, if they've been there within the last year there's a there's a lot better chance that they're gonna come back now as we get two years three years four years they're probably not coming back um, <laughs> nope so we we can be reasonable it's the same sort of reasonable test as we see with non-competes um, addressed to other employees that I have all of my clients uh, and um, other contractors if I have other contractors that I use that I get a benefit from mm-hmm. so let's briefly touch on confidentiality agreements mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is where I think people have some, some teeth and it really just depends though. And on, on what qualifies as proprietary information. Right. Um, but for instance, a client list would typically be considered proprietary, correct? 100%. And that's where we get them. So I mentioned a few moments ago when we're dealing with non-solicitations, um, that there is there is one one way we can really enforce that that gives the non solicitation teeth, okay? Uh, because you're asking, well, what about like how do we actually prove solicitation? Um, well, if if a client leaves because you left and they know that you left, cool, that's fine. Like we we can't prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. If, however, the client demonstrates, like we talk to the client who's leaving and the client says, well, I received an offer from this other gym directly, say in my DMs or my email or my phone, text, you know, they called me or something like that and they offered me to come to them for 50, for 50% off my first month. Well, how did that other gym get my client's information? And we, we can possibly walk down a road now to show that the only way that that other gym got my client's information was because you as my previous employer gave them that information. Mm-hmm. And so by adding confidentiality agreements in our employment contracts, we layer on to that non-solicitation because the number one confidentiality is going to be client information. And there's no other way that you potentially got that confidential client information, Dan, unless you were an employee with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it helps us prove that you in, in some way were involved in the solicitation of my clients away from my gym. Yeah. And I, so that's, again, that's something enforceable and something mm-hmm. I, so I don't have a non-compete in my contract. I might, might have you looked over, I think you've looked over my employee <laughs> agreement. And so, um, and I think we had this discussion, but I do have a non solicitation and a non, uh, and a confidentiality agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have, we have some things that we do in our gym that are pretty unique to us and are mm-hmm. what I would consider proprietary. And mm-hmm. although you can, you can pay me to have me teach you about it in next gen, um, I, I don't share those things outside. So like our client incentive, uh, programs that we have and things like that are, are proprietary. They are something we spent a lot of time developing and are, yep. are just are. So, yep. um, those would be things that I would want to protect. And 
I think from the gym owner perspective, right? How do I know? Well, I, I think you'll be able to tell, right? You're going to start seeing that really unique thing that you do being done at the competitor's gym that this person now went to. Um, but all this said, right, we've, we've talked about it. It's important to have the contract. It's important to have those agreements. Um, but all that said, should gym owners really be suing their employees after they leave? Uh, no, (laughs) they, they really shouldn't. And it, it not only will it give, it can give a pretty bad reputation within the community. Um, but nine times out of 10, you, you sort of hit the nail on the head when we were talking on solicitation, uh, and we didn't, we didn't actually come back around to it. And that is, yes, we want to prevent the, the employee from leaving and, and taking all of the clients with them nine times out of 10, it doesn't happen to the extreme that we're afraid that it's going to happen. And so we then like, okay, great. You left, you took a couple of my clients, I'm PO'd about it. Like I didn't want to lose that 300 or $500 worth of revenue each month. I get it. But is the, do the cost benefit analysis. Is it worth it going after that old employee for the $500 a month? And I can tell you from a legal perspective, it's going to cost you a whole lot more time and money than $500 a month. Uh, to try to go after this old employee because you're mad that they took a couple of clients away from you. Reason we put them in contracts is is for that chilling effect. Because if we can prevent this from happening the majority of the time, then we're winning. Okay, the one time that the employee goes out and snubs us, you know, you really got to do a cost benefit analysis on whether or not it's worth it. So you are quite literally the first person from a legal perspective who has used the terminology chilling effect in a positive. <laughs> like I, I feel like whenever we talk about a chilling effect, it's always a negative. You know, it created a chilling effect on this thing, which is then now, now you did something wrong because you chilled mm-hmm. the speech or you chilled their rights or you. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And maybe that's just because I come from the law enforcement perspective and we so often have a, a chilling effect by simply our presence. Um, (laughs) so that's interesting. I've just never thought about like, yeah, the, the point is to just kind of cool people's jets and get them to not, um, to think twice before they kind of quit on a whim. Right. And have that discussion and, and lay some things out of, Hey, okay. Just look, just a reminder, you agreed to these things. So like, I understand that you're leaving, but just remember you did agree that you're not mm-hmm. going to solicit people. And like, I want to, mm-hmm. you know, still be able to say hi to you, wave to you at the grocery store. So let's, let's agree to kind of part ways as much as friends as we can. Um, right. interesting. That's an interesting perspective that I hadn't really thought of when it came to non-competes. Cool. Yeah. Remember we're setting, I'll bring it back up again. We're setting expectations. Right. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll branch out cause I've gotten this question a couple and, and I'm going to, I'm going to overtake the episode for a second for another instance in which I've recently been, been, okay. been hearing from cheer gyms, uh, refunds. And, oh, and, yes. and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking over the whole episode. I'm just going to use that cause you loved my chilling effect and, and you once again <laughs> gave me a, a wonderful compliment. Um, but again, membership contracts, setting expectations, no refunds, where it's the same kind of chilling effect. If we catch nine out of 10 people who sign our membership contract who are going to honor it because we said no refunds, 
but there's that one pain in the butt person. The same thing. We, we the the contract from our purposes has has been successful because we have set that expectation and it has prevented what some people may try to do. It's prevented them from asking for a refund. It's prevented them from taking our clients. It's prevented them from going to another gym. Um, and that one time that it that it comes back and and it works against us or they don't honor it, we just have to ask: Is it really worth it to us making a big deal out of it? So, are you saying, on the refund side, are you saying, give the refund, in some circumstances, and when they come um, back and quit or <laughs> are throwing a fit, and I, it depends. Out of, I know. out of the risk of 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 instantly alienating every one of the listeners, <laughs> I will never say give a refund. But what I will do is, I I would love to have conversations with uh, with gym owners to say. Here's the situation. Here's your likelihood of winning. Here's your here's let's let's go through the cost benefit analysis of of whether or not it's worth it, and mm-hmm. and let's come out let's come to a, a a unemotional logical conclusion about whether or not you're going to give that that refund, um, because there's a lot of factors that go into play. And when I'm not derailing yes, the episode, maybe no, maybe that's it's, maybe that's the it's next a relevant episode. and maybe that's another <laughs> episode to chat about. I think it's a relevant yeah. thing to discuss. Um, and I'm not a no refunds person, right? Like mm-hmm. there are times where like, yep, I will pay you to leave. Like take your money Come back. On. Yeah. Go away. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I'm, there are situations where that applies. Um, I think there's also situations where I will, uh, I talked to a gym owner. It, she's not actually even a NG client, but I was talking to a friend of mine who was having a situation where she was removing someone from the program. And I said, look, in those circumstances, I always, I give back what I can. So if they've paid for things that they haven't received, like they paid for competitions mm-hmm. or they paid for a uniform that they're not going to use and get, I'll just give them the money back because I'm, it puts a little bit of a lighter situation on me kicking them out of my gym, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm asking you to leave, but now I'm going to give you money back for things you haven't received, right? I'm, I just always look at things from doing the, if you do things, for the right reasons, the right, you do things the right way for the right reasons. You treat someone how you would want to be treated in that same circumstance as best you can. Then you're generally going to come out ahead. Um, which I know from a legal perspective is not always the right answer, but <laughs> sometimes, but, but I want you to understand the consequences of the decision that you're making. Dan. Yes. And, 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 and that's, that's the conversation that, that, that I'm ultimately having with the gym owner. Yeah. And there is, I mean, as we discussed earlier though, now, by giving a refund, right? What they're looking, what the courts look for later on, if we ever get to that point, they're looking for consistency. And if you're like, well, I give this person a refund because I really like them. And I, mm-hmm, but now this mm-hmm. person I'm not like, cause they're mm-hmm. an a-hole. Um, mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but just cause someone is an a-hole does not actually constitute any sort of legal standing for actions no. against them. No. No, unfortunately, it does not, um, except in the instance of an employee uh, who received a bunch of disciplinary uh, actions because they're an a-hole, and now you fire them, and now they want to make a workers' compensation claim or an unemployment compensation mm-hmm. claim, I should yep, say. Yep, absolutely. Um, that, that, in that instance, it can come back to, to, to benefit you. Um, but you know, another reason that we have employment contracts is so that we're, again, I keep saying it. We're setting the expectations with the employee. 
And not only that, but we're setting the expectations with the employee so that upon the employee quitting, being terminated, whatever it is, we have things in writing that we can then use in our own defense against non-competes, non-solicitations, violation of, of confidentiality, claims for unemployment. Okay, we have all of this stuff in writing. Uh, the more we paper it, the better off it is for us as the gym owners in the long run. Love it. I think that cool. it would be interesting to do a whole discussion on on refunds. I think it would also be interesting to chat about um, employee handbooks. And I don't know how much you dive into that realm. Um, I actually just saw someone the other day uh, asking in a group for to buy an employee handbook from someone. Mm. <laughs> um, like they just, they just wanted one that was pre-done. They just want an employee handbook. And yeah. I, I, I kind of, I'm unsure on how I feel about it. Like I initially was like, well, don't do that. But then I was yeah. like, well, maybe it's a good starting point for you. Like maybe it gives you a general framework, but for what you're going to pay for the handbook, I bet you probably could just pay someone like Matt to help you come up with some of that stuff. Um, right. But an employee handbook or a policies and procedures would be separate from your employee agreement, correct? Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, and that's the whole other legal side of things. In fact, as we talk about lawsuits and all that jazz, and we talk, we talk about it a lot because you're an attorney, uh, and that's our goal is to avoid that stuff. But I've been a gym owner for 12 years. I've had a notice of tort once, and it was very early on in my gym owner career. Um, and we never actually truly got sued. Um, that was like a note that intent to file kind of thing. Yep. Uh, and we handled that. And then other than that, I've, I've never sued anybody. I've never been sued. And not to say that you won't be sued, but if you're listening to these episodes going, Oh my God, everyone's getting sued. I don't know that that's fully accurate. Um, in the chair world, no, but it's, it's still want to be prepared yeah. for it. Right. right? the goal is to avoid court and right. by it's, it's that ounce of prevention kind of thing. Yep. Um, cause what people don't realize is going through. So I haven't even been fully sued and just going through that initial intent to file and like meeting with our attorney and pulling together all the information for this ludicrous claim and like the stress and anxiety of this whole process it was monumental. I think that's when I truly went to the bald stage. Like it was, <laughs> it was a lot. And even just going through, like going after an employee for a non-compete, like I want the listeners to hear that's going to get contentious guys. And mm -hmm. they can mm -hmm. like, I feel like in a lot of lawsuits, no one wins because there's always a countersuit and then it always just gets very attack based. And then, the attorneys are now involved and not to say that attorneys are bad, but like we're expensive they also, though. They're expensive and expensive. someone's going to lose yep. and it may be both of you, but you know yep. who doesn't lose the attorney, the attorney gets paid, <laughs> right? So exactly they're going right. to, they're going to get paid at the end of the day. So if you, and it could be, if you truly lose, you could have to pay the other person's attorney's fees. Some places. Yep. That could be a part of this concept, or you could just both, you could settle, which happens a lot, right? We just agree yeah. to something else 
And then maybe you include in the settlement that your attorney fees get covered, but most likely not. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. still going to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars on top of the amount of mental and emotional capital that you're going to be spending to go through a lawsuit. You have to make that decision of like, is this worth it? Right. So ultimate answer is have some contracts, <laughs> have the Put prevention. things in writing. Put things in writing. Set the expectations. That's right. Exactly. And you'll avoid a lot of this. You'll avoid so much. A lot of it. And I think part of the reason I've avoided so much of this stuff is we have had contracts and things in place from a very early stage. And so I think that does help us um, yeah. dramatically because we can literally point to the contract and say, or point yeah. to our policies and say, this is what you violated. <laughs> right. Um, so awesome. Well, Matt, any other things that have come up in the last year it's now been a year ish that you've been helping out the cheer industry so um and we've been going for a few minutes here um (laughs) any last things that you think are so important you need to tell the cheer industry about it before we hop off of the episode um so the, the 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 one um sentiment that i get from a lot of cheer and gymnastics and i'm sure you guys get it to it in ggo is I've done it this way for 10 years. Do I really need to change it now? Um, or I've never done it this way in the last 10 years. Why do I need to do it this way now? Um, and that, you know, to, to address sort of the, what you were just saying, Dan, it, it's not that you're all of a sudden under threat because you haven't done this this way in the last 10 years. And, and suddenly there's this, this, this clear and present danger that you have to change for. It's everything is it's everything is a ticking time bomb, and we're trying to prevent what could potentially happen because once it happens, it's too late to try to prevent it from happening. So if you haven't been doing this for the last ten years, count your or you know, and, and you haven't had a problem, count your lucky stars. Great, that's wonderful. But let's not try to go another ten years without something happening because we didn't prepare for it at the same time, um, because. You host a birthday party and a kid falls off a trampoline and all of a sudden there it went. And now you've got, now you've got the notice from mm-hmm. the, from the attorney. Um, even though for the last 10 years, it was never a problem. Just happened to somebody in right. next gen. Yep. Yep. They, um, and that was, so, it was a parent, a parent stepped off a trampoline and rolled their ankle. Yep. And, and they had waivers and all that stuff, but the issue was, you're safe. We weren't briefed on safely getting off the trampoline. Mm -hmm. They'll do it. Right. It's there. (laughs) They are going through that process. Are there litigious people? Yes. And actually the more you open yourself to the general community versus, Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of the people you talk to are people who are like, well, this is my family, right? It's a family focused thing. I've got my 50 clients. They all know me. They come to my kids' birthday parties. But as your business grows and as you offer birthday parties and classes and you have like, we're at a point now where there's kids, so many kids in the gym. I don't know at least 50% of them. Like I don't know their name. I know my all-star kids and that's it. And it's those outside people that haven't been invested in your program for that long that you don't, you don't know who you're getting. So you are going to be more likely to get litigious people. Um, And if you don't have a fantastic this plug for our birthday episode or birthday. Contract yes. Episode. The birthday contract episode is We've a great talked one about that extensively. Um, but yeah, get, get this ounce of prevention in place. Um, 
you know, you were talking about, I've done it this way for 10 years. The analogy I always use, and I use it in a bunch of different things. Um, had it just happened with, uh, I used it with a parent who was having someone do a private lesson in our gym during open gym. And we found out about it and put a stop to it. Said, mm-hmm. hey, look, they got to be an employee. They got to rent. They got to do these things if they want to do private lessons for you. And their response was, well, we've been doing this for a couple months. Cool. Uh, okay. I mean, so <laughs> but now my, we figured it out. My counter is always, yep. And you've probably sped a whole bunch of times, but just because you got pulled over this time doesn't mean it doesn't count. Yep. Like, yes, you may have been speeding everywhere you went for the last 10 years. You can't use that as the excuse to get out of the ticket now. Well, I always speed. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could give you tickets in the past. Dude, would you like that? Yeah, right. You know, well, like I'll, I'll go back. Oh, well, I've never done these contracts. Okay, well, here's here's another. I'm just gonna lay the fear of God into people, and you can tell me if I'm wrong on this. It's called class action lawsuit. Mm. Oh, they can my. go back in time. Oh my. They can say, hey, oh, you've been doing this forever and it's illegal. Well, golly gee, we're going to put together a class action on you. Yeah. There are limitations to that, but sure. you are correct. You so, are correct. So don't just assume just because it hasn't come up, it's all good. Yeah. I can't jump into class actions right now. Dan, <laughs> but. We don't want to jump into class actions. They're scary. Yeah. Let's get back on next month. Um, but yeah, okay. All right, my friend. Thank you for your time. Thank yeah, you to all the listeners who listen to me and Matt just talk legal things. We find it hey, very me, entertaining. Hopefully you do too. Yeah, let me just plug this for us, Dan. If any of you listeners want us to cover a particular topic, you know, reach out to Dan. Shoot me an Please. email. And uh, I love getting on here and talking to Dan because he's always so complimentary to me. So yeah. Uh, I am that. Um, You also, I'm going to leave with a parting comment. You guys, there's no one better at this stuff than Matt, (laughs) EngineLawyers.com. You have to use them for your contracts. Like, I'm sorry. You are the most accurately priced way to get your contracts adjusted. And thank you. Like, that is the heaviest lift in all of this. You don't need to spend $10,000 for an attorney on retainer to draft some contracts for you. And attorneys are very expensive. I appreciate how straightforward your billing is. Thank you. It's, it's much more reasonable than the, the average attorney fee. And if you've not paid Mm -hmm. attorney fees before they bill by the hour and it's like, well, you worked on that for 10 minutes. So you billed me for 30 (laughs) and they're like, well, yeah, we round up. Yep. Like they don't bill by the minute, they bill by the hour and the half. So, oh, well, it took you an hour and 10 minutes, right? That's one and a half hours. One and a half hours. And half the time you're paying their paralegal to do it, right? And they yeah. they look over it. So I just think you, you guys need to check it out if you haven't yet. If you've been on the fence on calling or reaching out, just do it. Um, it's absolutely worth the money you will spend. So um, check it out. Thanks, Dan. We'll have him back on. Always. Anytime. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cheer Biz Podcast. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, click the link in our description to apply. 
If you're interested in joining NextGen, visit our website at www.nextgenowners.com. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening.